There you go. To Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. May God bless the reading of his word. So now we're, we're coming towards the end of Ruth. Again, it's been interesting to see. It's been fun. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a lot... Every week there's more to see of the providence of God, of the love that he has for his people, and also the love that his people have for each other as a family. And so as we continue on, as we come to more of the conclusion or so of Ruth, let's just remember just how great Ruth has been for us, I think. So verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. This verse now informs us what occurred between Ruth and Boaz after the legal events took place in the previous verses. Boaz made well on his promise to marry Ruth, assuming that the other kinsman redeemer would not do so. We end up finding out that his intentions were indeed pure. To take Ruth is an idiom for marrying her, which is further clarified. Most scholars consider it interesting to note the progression of Ruth's place in Israel. First, she was a foreigner then a low servant, a maidservant, and now she is a wife. In all, her status has simply continued to grow since making her vow to Naomi to stay with her until the end. Now, after that they had been married, we learn that Boaz went to her. Um, This is going to remain as PG as possible, so it simply means that he consummated the marriage through physical interaction. I think that's pretty PG. To go into her represents going into the bedchamber where such consummation took place after the wedding ceremony had occurred. Once they had consummated their marriage, we then learned something fascinating, and that is how the Lord Yahweh gave her conception. This is only the second time that God is mentioned as doing something within the book, so as the subject, acting something out. As we can see, it is quite the significant statement to make concerning the conception. God is the one who caused it. And it should cause us to reflect on the Genesis narratives when we learn of the barren matriarchs giving birth by God off opening their wombs. So is the case with Ruth. God has opened her womb to conceive. The question we may want to ask is, will this child then fulfill the blessings stated previously in the chapter? Are they going to have an heir who would be as significant as Perez, who was the grandson of a matriarch? Only time will tell. Finally, we learned that not only did God give her conception, but that she bore a son. This is significant since it would be through this son that the line of Elimelech would be preserved. Verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. We then come to the chorus of women 
who were originally featured in chapter 1. There they present for the arrival of Naomi to Bethlehem, asking, is this really Naomi? They then become witnesses to Naomi's great lament, which acknowledged her own sorrow of having gone from Bethlehem full and arriving empty. At that time, they were the ones who listened. Now it is their turn to speak concerning the child who has been born, and Naomi's turn to listen. They begin with, Blessed be the Lord. This understanding of blessed is another way of saying praise. Um, The reason for their praise stems from what God has done, which is, left you this day without a redeemer. From this, we further recognize God's divine providence, which has stepped into the life of Naomi. It is by God's grace and providence that she has not been left without a redeemer. And because of this, he is worthy of all praise. This, however, should cause us to wonder, who is the redeemer? There are two possible people for the position. The first is Boaz, and the second is the child. Most scholars conclude that the child is in view, especially because of verse 15, as we will soon see. So when we read about the Redeemer right here, it should be taken from the perspective that the child is the Redeemer. We also wonder whose name is to be renowned in Israel. Is it Yahweh's name? who has provided a Redeemer, or is it the Redeemer's himself? Ultimately, most scholars tend to conclude that the focus is on, again, the Redeemer. This makes sense in light of, the, of verse 11, which has the same phrasing with the hope um, of Boaz having worth and making a name for himself in Bethlehem. Now, however, we notice the difference in that Boaz's name was to be great or have renown in Bethlehem, but the child's name, would have renown in all of Israel. Soon we will see just how prophetic this utterance is by the women. We then come to verse 15. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The women continue by giving encouragement to Naomi. We now learn that the child is to be a restorer of life and a nourisher of her old age. The first half of this... That, sh- that he would be a restorer of life, reflects what we learned in chapter 1. There Naomi was a bitter woman who appeared to be in such a state of sorrow that you could wonder um, if she was ever going to have more life again or if she, this was it for her. Yet instead of this sorrow which filled her, she now has a reason for life, and that is the child who has been born. It may also reflect her loss of sons, whereas previously her sons had passed away, now she has a son who is alive. Yet it doesn't end there. It also focuses on the future. He will nourish her in her old age. When Naomi arrived in Bethlehem, she did not have anyone who would take care of her when she grew older. This responsibility would have fallen on her children. But as we learned, her children had passed away, leaving her future very uncertain. Now, this child will be able to sustain her gray hair, as the text says in its literal uh, meaning. In other words, to sustain her in her old age. They then focus on Ruth, her daughter-in-law. It is through Ruth that this blessing has occurred. Yet they also notice the great love Ruth has for Naomi. The love expressed here is not simply an emotional love, but a love of action through Hesed. By Ruth's deeds... She has shown great love for Naomi throughout the time they have spent together. 
When you add all Ruth had done in her sacred vow to Naomi to gather food for her and Naomi, marrying Boaz, and now having a son, we see a consistent pattern of love from Ruth to Naomi. And that is not lost on the women who have witnessed this love occur. It is from these acts of love, these acts of hesed, and the birth of this newborn son, that the women recognize Ruth to be more of have more worth than seven sons. According to scholars, seven sons is the ideal family. For Ruth to be more, worth more than seven sons is quite the statement and gives her great esteem. Finally, as we have seen, part of the reason for this esteem stems from the child who has been born. It is with this last statement, has given birth to him, we recognize that the Redeemer previously mentioned is in fact the child who has been born. For surely Boaz would not have been born of Ruth, as we are aware. It is with this that the women give praise to God and hold Ruth in such high esteem. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. At this point of the story, um, the fulfilled Naomi takes the child and puts him on her lap. In Hebrew, this would be her holding him to her bosom, um, but is not a way of indicating nursing. Instead, it is said both of males and females who hold someone to their chest. In this particular scene, we can imagine the heartfelt moment take place when Naomi holds this child, a child she never imagined would actually come into existence, and here he is on her lap. The final point that she becomes his nurse has some debate around it. Though to become his nurse seems to adequately establish what occurs between the child and Naomi. Naomi was going to be a caretaker for the child in some capacity. It is doubtful that she would have full legal rights to the child through adoption, since such a thing does not seem to be a common practice during the time, especially for women. Instead, it implies that she would be involved with raising the child in some capacity. His grandmother would not be far from his side, essentially. Verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. We now have a curious statement about the women and the naming of the child. It is interesting for a few reasons. First, the statement is rather redundant. Um, We learn that the women gave him a name, and then they named him. The likely reason for this redundancy is likely to proclaim a climactic point in the story. The second is that though the text implies that the women gave him the name, it is doubtful that the parents, Boaz and Ruth, were uninvolved with naming of the child. Instead, it seems more likely that they are proclaiming, celebrating, declaring the name of the child that had been born. The third is that the women proclaimed that a son had been born to Naomi. Um, The reason for this phrasing, that is, instead of them saying to Ruth, um, they say Naomi. um, And the reason why this happens is to bring us to a significant point of the story, which is Naomi herself. We tend to forget that the focus of chapter 1 is on Naomi. That Naomi is primarily the reason Ruth goes on... um, into the field in chapter 2, that Naomi is the one who schemes in chapter 3, and that the goal of Boaz marrying Ruth to begin with is to keep the name of Elimelech going, which Elimelech was the husband of Naomi, and in essence provide a redeemer for Naomi who will take care of her as she grows older. All of these things have come to a head at this point, which is why the women likely respond in the way that a son has been born to Naomi. Naomi is actually one of the pivotal main characters of the story of Ruth. 
Who knew? At this point, you should say, I did. I've been reading along with you. (laughs) At this point, we have a curious statement concerning his name. Normally, when a child is named in the Old Testament, it is accompanied with the meaning of the name. In this case, we are left without the meaning of the name Obed. Uh, Most conclude that Obed is a shortened version of the name Obadiah, which means servant of Yahweh. If this is the case, then his name simply means a servant. One must wonder, though, whose servant is Obed? Uh, Is he the servant of Naomi or Yahweh? If he is the servant of Naomi, it represents his role as her redeemer. If he is the servant of Yahweh, it represents basically the same thing (laughs) in the end. Um, that he will be used by God as a servant for Naomi. And in that case, it's up to you to decide which one. It is with this we come to the climactic conclusion by the narrator. We now find that this child, Obed, was in fact the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. This then is how the royal line came to be. By God's providence, Ruth and Boaz came together, and through their union, God brought about the great dynasty of David. It is through the two most pious characters in the story, two characters who have shown the greatest ethic of Chesed, that this child comes to be, and the prophetic voice of the witnesses comes to pass. Boaz's name would be great among Bethlehem, and Obed would be known throughout Israel as the grandfather of David. The main point of this, then, is to inform us what occurs between Boaz and Ruth. Boaz does do as he claimed he would do, and that is that he would marry Ruth. Not only were they wed, but the promise to continue Elimelech's line is also fulfilled through them having a son. Through this, Naomi's sorrow has finally abated, and her future secured through this child. Not only this, but the words spoken of Boaz, Ruth, and Obed are fulfilled, in that they are ancestors of David, the king of Israel. And so through all of this, we have this prophetic nature to the book of Ruth, out of nowhere almost. So this leads us to our application points. One is, the first one is one that we've seen quite consistently, ending famines. The theme of famines has been seen throughout the book of Ruth. Likewise, we have seen the theme of famines ending. This week's text continues both of these themes in significant ways. Not only is the barren Ruth able to conceive, but she also bears a son. This son would end the famine in Naomi's life by becoming her redeemer, caring for her as she continues into old age. Something significant should be noted from all of this. Earlier I had made a note of how God had been attributed with an action only two times in the book of Ruth. The second one occurs here, when we find out that it is through Yahweh that Ruth is able to conceive. Right away we noticed the significance of this, and wondered if this child would have significant consequences, especially when we consider the patriarchs and the matriarchs. But what is interesting to consider is the first time it is mentioned that God had directly been involved with something in the book of Ruth. The only other time we see this happen is in chapter 1, verse 6, which says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So we notice a parallel between these two themes continuing. That which is barren, the land, has now been given food. Conversely, that which is barren, Ruth, is now able to conceive. 
In both instances, it is the work of God who allows these famines to come to their conclusions. It is God who gives food. It is God who gives the child. Not only in this capacity is this seen, but also with the sorrow of Naomi. Earlier we learned she recognized her age to be such that she would not be able to bear children. Now God has provided a son for Naomi. The women who celebrated recognize all of these events as the works of God on the life of Naomi. She has been blessed by Yahweh. It is from this final theme that we reflect. All of us have been in situations when sorrows in our lives are great. All of us have been in a state when we have wondered if there was going to be any joy or peace again. The simple truth is, we're human. And we have experiences of sorrow in this world because we live in a fallen world. And this fallen world surely beats down on us whenever it is able to, by all of its dark means. If this is you, or if this is someone you know, then let the story of Naomi be an encouragement to you. Naomi was in a state of dread. She had no reason to find any joy in the life she had, because as she said, she was once full, but she is now empty. Naomi did not feel as though she would be filled up again. Instead, she believed that the hand of Yahweh was against her forever. This was not the case. Instead, God recognized the Hasid of Ruth, and through Ruth bestowed his own Hasid on Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi. As it turns out, Naomi's husband's name rang true. Elimelech's name means God is king. Because God is king, he is able to turn these circumstances around and bless them. Where once there was only lamentations, now there is great unabounding joy. In our times of sorrow... This is the greatest encouragement we can have, to remember the life of Naomi and see how God has literally done the impossible in her life. If God is able to do the impossible here, then surely we can have hope that he is able to do the impossible in our own lives as well. And the truth is, he has already done that if we are in Christ. You see, our greatest need, our greatest sorrow is not bad things that happen in this life. Our greatest sorrow is that we are dead in our sin and in need of redemption from a just and righteous God. If we are in Christ, then our greatest sorrow has been vanquished. For we are no longer dead in our sins, but alive through Christ. If we are in Christ, we have no need for redemption, for we have already been bought by the blood of Jesus. We are Naomi. We already are in that state of not being able to do anything for ourselves. And like Naomi, we are in total dependence upon the grace and the mercy of God to move in our favor. If we are in Christ, then he has done the impossible in us. Let this be a reminder for us during the dark times of life that God has already done the impossible and the joy of redemption of Christ can never be taken away from us. Once we put our sorrows in this perspective, then the world will truly ask us, what is the cause of your joy? And we will be able to respond to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this leads us to our second application, the gifts of providence. The last application point essentially leads us to this one. Throughout the book of Ruth, we have seen the evidence of the gifts of providence whether it is in the things seen previously or elsewhere. 
By seeing the gifts of providence in the book of Ruth, it further causes us to consider the gifts of providence God has bestowed on us individually as well as corporately as a congregation. With that, we consider what we have seen in today's text. In particular, we notice that when Ruth conceived, it was not accredited to the work of two individuals who are in love. Instead, the conception which occurred in Ruth is directly attributed as a gift from God. This is the gift. All the other gifts are a necessity for survival in this life, such as when God provided food for the women. But the gift of offspring is the one which will allow Elimelech's name to continue on through the generations. That is the thing to consider about this child. If it weren't for the birth of Obed, we would have no idea who Elimelech, Naomi, Ruth, or Boaz were. Their names would have continued for a time, but in the end, the renown would have been known only in Bethlehem. Instead of this fate, however, the birth of Obed allows for their names to have renown not only in Bethlehem, not only throughout Israel, but throughout the entire world. As it turns out, God would use this as a way to continue all of their names through the eventual birth of David, the great king of Israel, and as we know further on, through the birth of Christ. It is from this we see the gift of Obed doesn't end with just this one generation. It continues on through Obed to future generations. The gift of Obed truly did give great renown to these names. The greatest possible sorrow to occur for a family would be that their name would cease to exist. Yet the exact opposite occurs here. Yet it also reminds us of the significance of conception to begin with. This was touched upon last week when we reflected on how children are a blessing from God. No child is an accident. Indeed, no child has no worth. Because all children have the imprint of the image of God on them. So it is, really, is it really any surprise when we consider these things about children that it would be considered a gift from God for this child to be conceived and born? Absolutely not. It should not cause us any surprise when we consider the great God who has brought this conception into being. If anything, then, this act of providence concerning the conception and birth of Obad reminds us of the reality that children truly are a blessing. They are not to be considered anything less than that, and it should cause us to further reflect on the point made last week, that we should be a people who rejoice over all children, rather than a people who moan and groan when we think that they are being brought into the world under less than perfect circumstances. All too often... We have made childbearing and children themselves to be less worth than they really are. The scriptures speak plain that children are a great blessing giving to us. They are a gift. In the face of a world which would see children as a commodity, an accident, as something less than human, it is our responsibility to speak prophetically of children, that they are a blessing under every circumstance. What is our response to the child who has been conceived unexpectedly? Rejoice. What is our response to the children who is conceived under less than ideal circumstances, whether the family is on an utter dire straits financially, um, or the parents are young or even unmarried? Rejoice. There's a child. Children under any of these situations still bear the image of God and are still considered a blessing. 
So let's be the first to rejoice over these blessings given into the lives of people who are having doubts. Let's be the first to rejoice loudly over the coming of a new child into the world, praising God for allowing such beautiful and wonderful blessings to occur in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Let's be the first to rejoice over all the gifts of providence in our lives. This is where I would have that other point, by the way. (laughs) So, naturally, this leads us to the gospel. In today's text, we see redemption. We see the gifts of providence. We see the joy of famine's ending and sorrow being turned to joy. How can we not see the gospel in these things? How can we not see the victory of Christ in these themes? No, Ruth is pointing us to the gospel. And with the women of Bethlehem, we too can rejoice because we have been redeemed. We have gifts of providence. We have famine's end. And our greatest sorrow is turned to joy through Christ. The gospel, it begins with our origins. All the cosmos was created by God for his glory. Last of all to be created was humanity. God created us to be his image bearers. Because God is a God of love, reason, he knows, he can be known and has personhood and displays hesed, we can as well. It is because of this that we find dignity, sanctity, and worth to all human life. Like God, however, we are able to choose. We could choose to follow God in obedience in life, or sin in disobedience in death. The human race has chosen the latter and has continued to make that choice ever since. Because of that, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. And it is because of this disobedience that we continue to have and continue to accrue a greater moral guilt before our righteous God every day. God did not leave us in this state of darkness forever. Instead, he sent his light and spoke his word into the darkness, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, and he rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is through Jesus that our relationships with God ourselves, each other in the world, can begin to be reconciled. It is through Christ we are redeemed from our sins. His sacrifice is a propitiation, and his blood expiates our sin. It casts our sins away. His victory in life and over death becomes our victories in life and over death as well. All that is required of us is two things. The first is repentance. We are to turn away from our sins and turn to God. We are to live a lifestyle which is congruent with the scriptures, walking in step with the Spirit of God. In this way, we bear fruit of repentance in this life, allowing us to honor and glorify Him through how we live. Now, the second is faith in Christ. We are to acknowledge our utter dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not which we do which saves us from our sins. It is what Christ has done. It is only because of Him we can have life of repentance, and only by Him we can attain righteousness before God. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. If we are disobedient then, There is only judgment for our sins. None can stand before God without a Redeemer. And if we are not in Christ, then there is no redemption for our sins. All of our good deeds before our holy God is as chaff in the wind and is going to be burned in holy fire. It is because of this, if we stand before God apart from Christ, we will be judged for our sins. Yet, if we are obedient in these things, 
There is no longer any condemnation for us if we are in Christ. We stand before God redeemed from all of our sins. We are able to have victory in life by living a repentant lifestyle which glorifies God. We become children of God. We become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom where we will dwell with our God forever in peace and love. My hope for us, for this congregation, both individually and corporately, is that we should continue to see this gospel displayed in the book of Ruth and to emulate the characters in Ruth to display the glory of God amongst each other in our personal lives and in the world around us. Seek out faithfulness to our holy God, knowing that it will be through him we find our redemption. Know the peace of God through his only son, Jesus Christ, giving all things over to our Redeemer. Amen. Let us go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the redemption which is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is through this line of Boaz, Ruth, Obed, that your Son came into existence. And that the prophetic words that we have heard from these townspeople, in the end, is fulfilled thousands of years later. And it's fulfilled on a cross with your son nailed to it. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for the redemption found in your son. And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which continues to cause us to grow more and more toward you and your glory. May you be pleased with what we offer you. And may you continue to carry us along on your shoulders. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn, Be Thou My Vision. I want to say it's number 503. 502. And we're going to sing all the stanzas.